Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each week. Episode of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me as always is Dan and Holly. Guys, so happy to have you back. Say hi, and let's chat about what we're going to get into today. So glad to be here, Steve. I know. It's nice to be back. It's been a while. It's been a while. We're getting better, though. We are. I mean, yeah. schedule has yeah. been horrible. Schedules are getting getting better, so yeah. we're going to be making more of these things. Starting to realign. Yeah. Yeah. You guys been good? Been yeah. Good. good. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> you guys this is going well. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Super. Super. Things are awesome. Um, today, we're going to get into a really fun topic, and we're going to wade into some... I don't know. They're not political waters, but they're kind of industry political waters, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what we're going to discuss today, Daniel? Well, we're talking to these guys about EMS conference in Coeur d'Alene, and I was just amazed about how positive they are about EMS and transport. And that's just so different from the waters that I swim in. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about fire EMS. Fire-based EMS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're really going to be talking about the differences between fire-based EMS, private ambulance EMS. We'll even talk about third service EMS a little bit. Yeah. I have a little bit of history with that. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff for sure. Cause that you don't typically hear people in the fire service that are pumped about EMS. No, not at all. And it's you can probably stuff. name that one or two. Right. That members nerd, of your right? department. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's been me and for I'm 25 years. Probably that nerd too, which is why we do an EMS podcast, but. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was really excited to hear you had found some new connections in the industry that were just as pumped as we are about it. And yeah. Sounds like there's some pretty fun guys to talk to as well. Yeah. Cool. Holly? We'll see. No, I remember being <laughs> on scene once with, uh, some firefighters and I worked for private ambulance and my partner was having a little like struggle with the, the firefighter on scene and he goes, you're a 10 minute medic and you're about 15 minutes in over your head. Oh, wow. That's perfect. But I think a lot of firefighters like that 10 minute medic mentality, you know, just not say anything bad, but yeah, I mean, they really are on scene for about 10 minutes and then they get out of there. That's a perfect scenario for a lot of people. Yeah. And actually where I work is five minute medic, five minute medic. Yeah. 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 It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so, a guy, speaking of the time thing, we had a guy who used to work for us who he would show up and, you know, he always gave himself a timer in his head or on his watch. And then, um, he always wanted to know if he showed up on scene and if they were, they had time to get some stuff done or if they were behind. And so he would turn to you if it was a serious call and be like, Hey, Steve, we're behind. And it'd be like, Okay, I don't know what that means, but like, <laughs> in his brain, it was things needed to happen days, minutes, hours ago, and here we are showing up when we show up, and we've got to do something about it. And you're it. already behind. And he'd be like, "We're we're behind." <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. I guess we got to get going. So that just meant move fast, right? But and there's a time to move fast, and there's a time not to move fast for sure. Um, okay, yeah. So we've got actually got them on the phone and. I think uh, it's going to be a fun podcast. So let's introduce them. Okay. Do you remember their names? <laughs> <laughs> I'll introduce them. Just kidding. I'll introduce them. How about that? Go yeah. all in. So we have Eric as well as Jeff. And we met them at a conference we were just at in uh, Coeur d'Alene. And they're from the north. Very, 
very exclusive up there. Washington State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we're standing there. It's kind of the end of lab. And I'm just kind of standing there. And uh, this guy walks up to me and he goes... <clears throat> Free for coffee. So (laughs) (laughs) that did kind of sound like where it was going. Um, Even better, an even better line was, so can I do a crike on that cadaver? And I was like, yes. (laughs) Finally, someone asked if they could do something fun today. And we were just kind of waiting around to see if anybody would ask. And so Jeff was was the one. So he got to do the, the first and only cut. So that's on that Jeff. guy. That's Jeff. Jeff. Mm-hmm. And then who's the other guy that we're bringing on? And Eric is. Uh, are you? I don't know. Eric, are you his boss? Kind of. <laughs> are you like the big Someday guy? He's yeah, the, the, the medical officer uh, for the the agency that they work for. And so he was there as well. Uh, get to do some fun stuff. So it was really cool to talk to them about EMS and not just the fire yeah, side of everything. They were so positive. Mm-hmm. That's what drew me to them. Yeah. You just don't see that. From that type of uh, an agency. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think they transport, we'll get into it, but I think they transport, um, they do the fire stuff. I think they have a combination of short and long transfers as well. So lots of exciting stuff up there. So let's get in it. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were super stoked to meet you guys there. Um, the, the cadaver lab was great. Um, just a little bit about me. I'm like about 11 years in EMS. Um, I was an EMT for five years before I went to paramedic school. Um, been a medic for about six years. The last four of those, um, with the current agency that I'm at, um, a little bit about our area. We run about 10,000 calls a year and we're, uh, a little over a hundred square miles. So we do have some, some rural EMS, um, kind of longer transport times. Um, we're, yeah, just west of Seattle, we're a combination department, so we do a little bit of everything. We do do our own transports, um, and then we run the fireside as well. Awesome. And this is... Yeah, and then on a... I just make sure, that was Jeff. That was Jeff. Yeah. Cover that. Should I say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you say whatever you want, man. We'll we'll make you sound good. We'll Once make you we sound good. Like, <laughs> Steve's amazing. All right, go ahead. And then, yeah... Um, my name's uh, Eric Chamberlain, um, and uh, yeah, like Jeff, started off with uh, private for the first five years of uh, my career, and then transitioning into the fire service. I've been doing that for 10, paramedic for 11 years, um, and then Jeff pretty much spoke to what our agency um, does here in the Northwest. Um, we do have some longer and shorter transports. We have one hospital within our county that we transport to the majority of our um, patients. Um, that has different leveling degrees of capabilities. Um, they're level one cardiac, level one stroke, but only a level three trauma center. So um, our next level of trauma service um, for level two would be about 30 to 45 minute transport time by ground, or we can transport um, by air for level one over in Seattle. Nice. Yeah. <clears throat> That's similar to here. Like you guys have a level two trauma center mm-hmm. in this area. So do you guys take all your traumas to the level three, no matter what, and then it transfer depends. later? Um, yeah, I have a, I have my own personal kind of uh, triage trauma tool of uh, if I think that it can be handled by our local hospital or level three trauma, then that's going to go there. So, um, But if it needs to go over to level one, then I'm going to fly a patient, and then my third level of triage is well the coroner. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The most stable <laughs> patient. Right, yeah. <laughs> level three. 
Um, so the majority, yeah. the majority of our you know, more severe traumas, um, I would say we send over to our level one um, trauma center. Cool. Well, it sounds like you guys both have the experience as the private sector or maybe single role medic at the beginning of your careers, which might be why you're pretty passionate about the EMS side because totally. um, that's what you started out really focusing on. Um, bringing that into the fire service, do you feel like your agency is pretty um, heavily supported on EMS education or is it more of everybody's focused on fire or what is it like up there? I think it's definitely um, a cultural thing around this area. I would say uh, within our county, there's a big emphasis on EMS, at least I like to think so. Um, and me being in my position as a medical officer, that's definitely something I, I try to empower a lot of our providers to continue um, with, uh, one, their training, two, their education. Um, we have a lot of younger uh, providers within our agency, like Jeff, um, who are very passionate about EMS, very passionate about pra- um, being a true pr- practitioner mm-hmm. of EMS. And they're always trying to um, hone in and, and improve on their skills. Um, obviously, if you saw that from Jeff wanting to cut open necks um, <laughs> at the drop yeah. of a dime or the cadaver left. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and, and to, to build a little bit off what Eric talked about, like transporting to that level one trauma center or kind of how we go about that. And Eric mentioned um, I have a personal tool and I think our county is super good. Um, we have great protocols that we operate under, but, um, our MPD and our delegates that we work for are very supportive of us. And, um, you know, as long as at the end of the day, do what's right to the patient. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can justify that, um, we can, I don't want to say do anything, but, for lack of a better term, you know, as long as it's in their best interest, we can stretch those protocols and, and we have the freedom to make decisions um, based on what we see in front of us versus kind of a checkbox mm-hmm. protocol system, if you will. So I think that um, was a, a huge draw for me to come over to this area. I'm not originally from, uh, the from north. where we work. Um, <laughs> yeah, from the north. I'm actually from... from your guys is neck of the woods. Um, so that was a, a big draw for me to come up here and, and to keep me motivated of, you know, do the right thing, treat the patient, not the protocol book. That's a really important thing that you said about having a good medical director that supports you. Because if, if you have that, then you, you do feel like you can work to your full practice or your full ability, make those decisions on your own and use your protocols as a guideline, not a Bible. Right. And there's the trust. I mean, the yeah. medical director trusts these guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, the agency I work for, uh, we probably have 300 just paramedics, just straight paramedics, that, firefighter paramedics that our medical director can't trust all those dudes, and I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. So, Jeff, I'm going to point this towards you, buddy, since you're younger. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start from the beginning. You, what drew you to EMS? What what kept you so positive up there? Because you and I had a conversation up there about promotions and, you know, not being able to function as a paramedic. And, and I'm just, I'm so not used to that because everyone I work with down here, they want off, they call it, I got to get off the box. I got to get off the box. I'm a big firefighter, you know? And I just, what is it? We have a lot of younger people to listen to this podcast and I just want them to hear from you. How do you do it? Oh man, I think, that is, that is a great question, Dan. Um, 
I'm going to do my best to answer it in a reasonable time frame. I think it started. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, where do I even start? I think it started before I even knew what I was getting myself into. Um, I grew up um, with my dad being a first responder. He's a law enforcement officer. Um, and so I, I, I was brought up kind of in the culture of first responder and, um, you know, that line of work, of course, um, he pointed me in the complete opposite direction, um, <laughs> to the fireside. Um, so I, my, my game plan was, I want to be a paramedic. I didn't even know what a paramedic was, but that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I, I, I had this awesome plan of just graduating high school, going straight to paramedic school, getting a job and working and not even knowing what that meant. Um, I ended up going to the local fire department where I lived, which was a, um, bit of a combination department. They had full-time paramedics, but everyone else was, um, kind of part-time and or volunteer. And I met some of my biggest mentors, um, not only in my professional life, um, being a paramedic, being a firefighter, but in my personal life. Um, and so just learning from them, being brought up in a system that was positive, that was um, EMS heavy, um, kind of shaped me into, I, I I grasped onto those mentors who, I mean, that's why they were there, mm-hmm. was for the medicine, was was to be the um, medic at that agency. They, they actually didn't even do any fire, even though we were fire department, they were... Um, just doing the medicine side of it. And so getting into this, I didn't even know really what the fire service meant. Um, but then kind of that, Dan, as you touched on earlier on, um, the schedule, the pay, the training, the mindset, um, the bigger picture working private versus going to the fire service. Um, kind of all, all the, all the signs pointed me towards the fire service. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, really again, starting out medicine based, the fire service was kind of my, my second love, if you will, with EMS being my first. You were looking at stability. You were looking at, uh, just your future. Um, and there's much more stability in the fire service, right? And you get the training, you have the support. Is that Mm -hmm. what you mean by, by, uh, look into the fire service. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, I did, I did a short stint of private ambulance work and, um, it's no secret for all of us that have done it. It's, it's pretty hard charging. I mean, you're not going to be 72 retiring from the ambulance. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I mean, at least where I worked, um, it, it was a great agency and I, I, so thankful for the opportunity, but mm-hmm. I don't think I trained once. Like I got to work right. and I was put on the box and I was out on the street until I got to go home. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no training. There was no follow up. There was no, um, there, there was no drilling. There oh, was no, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know what you know. And especially being a younger medic, being in a system like that, like, congratulations, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't even know what I don't know. 
Right. And now I'm out here, you know, having to do that um, versus, I mean, stability. I think you had the nail on the head, Dan, in the fire service, it's almost 100% training driven. Everything we do is you train on it, you get good at it. And then we adopt that into our operations Um, versus I feel like uh, my experience with private at least was the opposite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, just go figure it out in the field. Yeah. And, you know, train on your own or, or, figure out your own way to, to work on your, your CE. Um, right. So yeah. I, I, at our department, um, where I'm at, we have a, it, it's said more than it's probably accurate, but it's definitely at least acknowledged that training is the number two reason why we're at the department, um, when we show up each day. And so obviously responding on calls, being there for the people in our community, that's, priority number one, but then training so that we can, you know, show up and fix problems is why we're there for, uh, for reason number two. And then everything else is, you know, tertiary at that point. Um, but I think what I want to get into today, and that, that was, thank you for giving us that info. That's like, that's awesome. I, I didn't grow up with any sort of first responder mentality at all, um, had a dad in business, had a mom who was, well, my mom was a nurse, um, but never discussed the, you know, emergency side of things. Um, she was an OB nurse and, um, worked that for a bunch of years, but the, the idea that the fire service is where you want to be is that was told to me early on, even in my private ambulance days as an EMT working on a two person medic with a paramedic partner. Um, and so I guess that that's kind of what I want to talk about. Like I know usually the, the conversation ends with it saying, Oh, well the reason fire is better is because it comes down to the almighty dollar. The private ambulance world is operating on contracts and the cities that they, you know, put a contract in for their, you know, uh, a bid process essentially for, um, you know, the rights to have the ASA, the ambulance service agreement in that area. But, I, this is such a sticky point, right? Like there are amazing private ambulance medics. Oh, absolutely. That do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. That kick ass every single day they come to work. And I enjoy those people. Like they, they're, they're awesome. And then we have people that go work for the fire department whose job description includes EMS <laughs> every single day. <laughs> and 90% of their call. Right. And 90% of their call volume is EMS driven and they don't want to do it. They don't engage during training. They kind of tune it out. And so there's this big like dichotomy and I guess maybe it's every industry, but is it a culture though? Is it a culture in the department to be that way? Or is it just, I'm sure it, it really depends on where you're at. Yeah. And probably how big the department the individual is. Crew. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's, you know, we've yeah. talked about generational differences um, with some of that, but that's also, I mean, we have probably four or five generations covered with this phone call and how many, you know, we're all passionate about EMS. So it's possible that every generation has it right. But I don't know. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon that it really depends on the person. But yet I, like I, for example, um, I know some people that are near retirement who feel like EMS was added to their to do list, original right. really job description mm-hmm. oh, and wow. they don't, feel like it was something that they ever signed up for. 
but it's something they still take a paycheck from and it's something that they still, you know, choose to not engage in. And then I have people who have recently retired who were probably in that same boat, but went to paramedic school so that they could be that highest level provider on scene um, because it got added to their quote unquote, you know, job description. And they became some of the most amazing uh, and like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, impactful paramedics that our organization's ever had. Mm-hmm. So, so for you guys, we have three different departments kind of on the phone call here. Mm-hmm. What is the percentage of EMS training versus fire training that you get? Is it 50, 50? Is it like mostly fire with a little EMS Are sprinkled in? Legit? Yeah. Legit. Yeah. Cause we're talking about right, the legit. fire service being like at, at the private ambulance, you don't go to work and drill. Right. Right. But at the fire department, you guys drill all the time. You're right. always training. So what are you training on? Are you training on mostly fire? Don't do like your, well, no, do both. What's, what, what's the typical monthly breakdown for you at your department, Dan, of training hours? It would definitely be fire. Well, right. But okay, like, so it's, give me an idea of how many. So I work on a truck. So we have, we have a lot of truck training we have to do. And I like to call it big trucks. So, uh, it is probably, I would say, because we drill every shift, so probably two hours a day, I'm going to say, you know, we work nine days a month, 70, 70% so fire. Calculator. Yeah, 70% fire. <laughs> Get the slide <laughs> roll And the out. money all lies where, where the fire stuff is, you know, the progressive right. hose stuff, all the, you know, the big water shit. It's just, and then, you know, you try to get a cadaver lab to a, a department that's, you know, innovation success rate is 70%. Oh, well, nah, you know, we, we don't need that, you know. So, yeah, it's definitely on the fire side. The money okay. Is. Yeah. How about you, Steve? Um, so we are required to get 20 hours of training a month. We work 10, 10 shifts a month. And it's 17 hours of fire and three hours of EMS. Oh, shit. Okay. And so what is that? You don't have to do the percentage if you don't want right. to. I think that's... I mean, you have a master's degree, 85%. So. Thank goodness. 85% fire, 15% EMS. Okay. Yeah. And then how about you guys? How about in the north? Um, yeah, being with this agency for uh, five years now, and I think Jeff can kind of see it as well, too, um, it's heavy fire training. Um, I would say uh, when I first started, it was probably like 80-20, um, and EMS was kind of push off to the side of the training um, algorithm. Uh, it's definitely something that I'm trying to even out <laughs> on both sides, um, but it's hard to do because um, we're a fire-based agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the guys trying to motivate guys um, to do EMS training, you'll get a lot of, well, we do this every day. Like this is the primary mm-hmm. job that we do is EMS. So why do I need to train on it when I can go out and run a call and mm-hmm. do it? You know, so it's, I would say for us, now it's probably about 70, 30, but it was probably 80, 20 in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot more to the fire. It's not right. just fire. It's oh. all the. Oh, Holly. No. Don't buy into that. <laughs> a monkey could do my job. <laughs> but thank you. I was just trying to be fair. No. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's funny because in the flight service that Dan and I worked at, um, of course it was all EMS. All medical training, like zero, I mean, maybe a teeny tiny bit of like helicopter operations. Right. But the training was, you know, we're in front of a computer. Right. And then go upstairs and sign mm-hmm. yourself off on airway stuff. Yep. 
So there was, wasn't anything organized except yeah. for advanced skills day. And that mm-hmm. was just, you know, go see your buddies. Right. You know, so. uh, circling back to culture a little bit, um, you know, again, Eric and I can only speak for where we're at, but, um, Dan and Steve being in, on the fire side of it at your agencies, um, I think that we do a really good job of setting that tone here. Um, in our hiring process, there, there's an EMS component. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then as, as, um, the, the new hires are onboarded, um, especially with Eric now, we're doing, um, Eric jump in here, but at least a couple day EMS academy before these individuals are even coming to the line to us to make sure that they are squared away on their EMS skills. And then even as we hire paramedics, um, being a paramedic on the line, um, and it, it, I think it starts with, comes from our MPD, but it, it just department wide, like we have the standard, the culture, if you will, um, of greatness. Like if, if we hire someone and they're not performing, it's, it's not going to be, um, a secret, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that will show on their daily evaluations. And we have uh, enough of a culture here that like if someone, you know, has that attitude that kind of Dan was talking about, like, I just got to make it to 366 and I can put in for the spot on the truck or put in for the spot on the engine, um, the other thing that's a little bit unique about us is there's not really another option. Um, we have two person companies. So if you, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into here, mm-hmm. uh, there's not the, um, you can't go put in for a spot to ride backwards. If you will, um, you either have to promote to a driver or promote to an officer position. Um, that's really the only way off of the ambulance. So coming into this and knowing our department model, um, you know, speaking for myself, like I knew I was getting myself into that. And that for me was, you know, a little bit motivating. Um, like that's what I want. I want to be on the ambulance. I want to do paramedicine. I want to do the fireside as well, but I get to hold that, um, the, the paramedicine first. And everything else is, is just comes with it, kind of. So once you promote at your department, then you're on the truck or the engine and you don't go back. Like you don't move around. You promote no. and now that you're the officer or the driver. Yeah. And, Got it. Yeah. And that's your position. Um, and like I said, we have, you know, two man, two man company. So an officer and, uh, a driver on either the engine ladder or we have a heavy rescue. Um, and specifically for like our medics, once they promote, um, within our department, the officers don't maintain, um, their paramedics are, so they revert back down to an EMT. Um, and some people want that. Um, some people try to hold on to that paramedic cert as long as they can, but it's just not something that our organization currently, um, supports as you promote up to, um, through our, our promotion process. Wow. That's, that is tough. Would that be I, tough? That is very tough to hear. Um, we're at our department complaining and moaning vehemently about three person engine companies. So to hear you guys are operating with two is, uh, humbling to say the least. Cause that's, 
you know, they, they have all these studies that they've done that show the amount of work you can get done with a two, three, four, and five person company. And four is actually the most productive number on a fire call. Um, like substantially more than three and actually like 5% better than four person, than a four person or a five, five person. person. And so, wow, you guys are working your butts off. Work it. Exactly. So if you have a two man crew, you go to a fire, does the ambulance come then as the backup? Cause you can't have yeah, both of you like, in at the same time. No, that's exactly what we utilize. So, um, our, our medic units or our aid units are that, quote unquote, fourth man staffing for that engine company. So gotcha. um, they'll either get assigned to, to that company uh, to work for them. Um, and that's how currently we, we operate to not necessarily make up that manpower difference, but um, to be utilized as a, a full, mm-hmm. quote unquote, four man company. Yeah. So Eric, I had a question for you, buddy. So in a large department like uh, like I work at, I can hide for 25 years. I can, you know, we have a cardiac arrest where there's 12 people on scene. No one really knows if I'm any good or not. Um, same with the fire, you know, you have first alarm, we have, you know, 50 dudes doing whatever they do. Um, I can always be in the background, just not doing a stellar job. Smaller departments, I mean, you're front and center the entire time, whether it's EMS or fire. Uh, how, what was my question? Can you hide? Can you hide? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you. Holly. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I just, I tuned you out. I got lost. Oh, <laughs> <sake>. <laughs> um, so Eric, are, you, you know, your dudes and you know, their, their capabilities is, is it, are you able to hide? Is it, is what I'm thinking correct? I mean, are those people pretty obvious who are not, not very good? Need yeah. Help? Um, yeah, like I said, you know, we're not a large department. Um, we have about a hundred line personnel and 20 of those, 22 of those are paramedics. Um, so no, you can't, not at all <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to answer it easily. Um, I respond to, at least when, um, I'm in the office, all of our cardiac arrest cases. So, um, it's front and center, um, that I get to get out there and witness or at least um, peek in from time to time of how our uh, paramedics um, providers are doing on the field. Um, and you can't, you can't hide from that. Uh, and which is, I guess, uh, a good thing because it allows me an opportunity to, to check in with them, to, to see where they're at, to see where we need to be at uh, with our training. Um, maybe it's not a provider problem. Maybe it's a whole department systemic um, problem that we mm-hmm. need to address. Um, and, easy um, to hide off in the shadows with an art department. And see, I think that um, adds to the culture of you got to be good at your job. Like you're working on the ambulance or the box or whatever you guys call it. Um, you got to be good at it because we're watching and you can't hide, like you said, right. in the background. Um, so maybe that breeds that culture of if you come here to work, you know you're going to work and you know what you're going to do. So you, you better like it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with that too, um, like on our medic units, you might be the sole paramedic for that patient. Um, right. So sometimes we have dual, dual medic medic units, which is nice um, to be able to bounce things off of another, you know, a paramedic provider. Um, but I would say the majority of the time, the person driving you that day is an EMT, and then mm-hmm. everybody else on your crew out of that station is EMT. So they're all looking to you to be that good to make sure that you're honed in on your skills and you know what you're doing. And that's something as a department that we expect 
um, our paramedics uh, to be able to do, like to be at their best, you know, every day, because it could just be them mm-hmm. on a significantly critical call. And so just, just to dig deeper into what you guys, uh, how you operate. So if it's a BLS call, does the EMT take the call or is the paramedic always take the call? Uh, we bounce back and forth depending on, okay. um, depending on the call. If it comes in BLS and truly is a BLS transport call, then the EMT will be in the back. Um, if it's an ALS call, then obviously the paramedic will be in the back. Gotcha. Um, and then if it's a, if it's a dual medic, then <laughs> they rock, paper, scissors. Right. Okay. <laughs> When I worked on the ambulance, I worked with the EMT basic and I got to say like she was the best oh. paramedic partner I ever had. Yeah. That wasn't a paramedic. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great relationship. She yeah. saved my ass a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a good EMT. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No stopping you. Jeff's, re- Jeff's regular partner is, is really good at that. We call him uh, the paramedic shepherd. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Wow, an EMT at an EMS conference amazes me. Yeah, you know, I never incredible. once went to an EMS conference when I worked on private ambulance because they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't you afford it, paid for and it. I right. didn't have any time off either. So, right, um, yeah. And you're right. As as an EMT, that that thought never even crossed my mind. I thought no. um, but yeah, we do have a couple of providers that are really, really geared toward EMS and want to participate in stuff like that. And we we totally. Um, push them to do things like that. And Jeff, you said that there, you have one dude that's been there a long time, an EMT that's been there a long time that's never promoted up because he likes being on the box. Is that true? Yeah, yeah we, have, uh, we have, go ahead, go ahead, Eric. I was just about to say that, that's your, your regular partner. Yeah. Um, my, my regular partner is 20 years as an EMT and he is a better paramedic than I am. Wow. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, I'm, I'm so lucky to be able to work with him and his attitude is unreal. Uh, the positivity that, that, that dude just spewed. Um, how, but, how and, and we work? even have, I get one transfer and I f- pissed. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I mean, perspective, you know, I guess perspective yeah. for me, at least, you know, like, um, we, we were just in another, another workshop and, and somebody mentioned, uh, living your interview every day, like mm. kind of waking up in the morning, remembering those things that you said that got you here and just, and I guess falling back on them and, and like, this is legitimately my job. Like if my job today is to go see the same person six times finally convince them to go to the hospital at two in the morning. Like that's what I signed up for. <laughs> it, 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 it truly is. So like, you're right. And it, it, it not, I mean, not, to, not to just jump on the, the money train. Cause I mean, clearly that's not why any of us are here, but it's like, that's why we stay. I get, <laughs> I get, I get, you know, I get the schedule that we have, the benefits that we have, the time away from work and like the pay to drive people to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it could be so worse. the ones that make you, the, the ones that make you frustrated are never the innovations of the CPRs or the uh, multi-system traumas, right? Like those are the ones, the ones that you live for. Um, but to get upset about the easy one, 
Right. At least, at least working with that twenty-year guys, like, are you kidding me? Like, we just, we just went to Safeway and bought stuff for Ruby Floats tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why, why are you mad that we just? You didn't even have to transport. Like, you drove me in. I have to write the report. Why are you mad? Yeah. I'm like, oh, well. Oh, damn it. I have nothing to be mad about. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even have at least two, without even really thinking about it, three um, paramedics, Eric, um, jump in here, that are at, one of them is at 30 years at least in EMF, if not more. Um, and the other two are at 20 plus, and they are paramedics. And they're going to be paramedics for the, you know, forever mm-hmm. until they until they leave us. Wow! Yeah, they're, they're, they're happy with that position mm-hmm. without promoting. Yeah, and they're, you know, that's what they signed up to to do. That's what they love. That's what they're passionate about. Which is um, really cool when you that. when you think about leaders. You don't have to be the top dog to be a good leader. Um, being a good follower sometimes is the best leader. And those types of people in that mid level position tend to really, I think, push the culture in a company more so than the chief or the assistant chief or the captain even. Um, so it's cool that you have those guys like that. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that I was thinking about was kind of the, you know, we've all seen the differences between how we felt or how we were treated or maybe the emphasis when you get to work each day of working in the private ambulance sector. And I know that you can't paint with that broad of a brush, right? There are there are spots to work in this country where a private ambulance gig is a pretty sweet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's overly common for that to be the case, but um, I know of a few places where people really, really love their job. Um, and I wish, you know, we don't have anyone that's in that boat, so to speak, right now that's on the, um, on the call. But I remember um, doing my internship in Austin, we had, and I think, I'm assuming they're still doing this. This was a few years ago, but um, they do a third service. So you basically have, you know, in the branches of local government, you have, for first responders, you have police, fire, and EMS. And the ambulance posts or um, stations are at uh, fire stations or, um, you know, right near one kind of a thing. And... That was a, of all the, the, the three out there, I think it was probably the most interesting to me because you're really part of this one big group of people. Like something about tying in EMS and making this police fire EMS triad, mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. It just felt way more uniform. Um, and I actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, you're still part of an overall city government, mm-hmm. um, county government type situation. You've got good funding. They pay well. They have lots of opportunities to promote um, to different spots and specialty teams. Um, but, yeah, I, there's so many different things out there. But at the end of the day, I, I think overall people are told, man, go get a fire job. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I wish, you know, guys, before we called you up, we were talking about how rare it is to hear of pro EMS firefighters and most departments you could probably pick out like the one or two dudes who are really into it. Um, and Dan and I were looking at each other like, yeah, I think that's us. <laughs> 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 we're those nerds. Um, 
but it sounds like you guys are kind of a unicorn in the sense that your department has a handful of them. Yeah, we're. I would. Ahead, I would say. I would say. Yeah, um, but you know, for our department specifically, that was probably not always the case. Um, which definitely has been a, a to say again a culture change um, within our organization and um, our area, and that's been driven by the large amount of people that have been hired over the last ten years mm-hmm. um, since kind of the recession time, where people or where agencies weren't hiring. There's now been a significantly large retirement boom or bubble burst to where we're hiring 10, 12 people for our agency specifically over the last couple of years. And a lot of those guys are younger guys um, and gals um, coming from private ambulance or coming straight out of paramedic school or ENT school who have that school passion of uh, continuing that care. Um, and that definitely has changed the culture within our organization. Well, and not everybody wants to be a firefighter. I mean, it's okay to want to work on an ambulance and be a paramedic. We didn't have single role medics at the fire service when I was a private ambulance medic. That would have been my dream job to be a medic and and have the benefits of the fire department, but not have to like go do fire stuff. Right. (laughs) And Dan, your department is kind of leading the charge Mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, Yeah. we have them. And Unfortunately, it's so stepping define, stone. Define single role. For single role is they are part of the fire department. And they are, you know, they sit at the dinner table with us. <laughs> Sounds yeah. horrible. I know. We don't put them off to the side. Right? <laughs> they don't sit yeah. at the kids' table. Yes. Same uniform. You allow them to come in from the rain. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. They're not just posting yeah. at your station. But they are hired as a single role. What they do is they... They run EMS calls. We have certain parts of our department where we have the ASA. We have we run in four different counties, and one of our counties we have the ASA. And so, they have brought a level um, of uh, pride to the department that they're streamlining it. They're running all these vaccines right now, and the dude that's in charge is a single role guy that's been there for three years. And, you know, we've given 70,000 vaccines. It's been going on for five months. And, and so they have, they have a place. Mm-hmm. There's still room for us as a department to, you know, where their, their ceiling is not so limited, where they can promote and there's opportunities. That's not there yet, but it's going to be there. But we still have the people that get hired. It's just a stepping stone yeah. to get on a big fire truck. Mm-hmm. The question I was curious about though, with you guys up there, um, how, progressive do you feel your protocols are and when you look at um kind of where you've come from in the private ambulance sector and maybe other you know departments around you guys what do you how do you feel about them do you feel like they're pretty good kind of lagging top notch where you guys fall uh i would say our, our protocols are pretty progressive um compared to other agencies um out in the country. Uh, I can't say that I know all the protocols, obviously, um, but we have had some people that we've hired over the past couple of years that have come from other states, um, more busier systems where protocols are very limited, uh, and they come into our agency, and we essentially have to put them through paramedic school again um, to a degree mm-hmm. uh, because our protocols are fairly progressive of having more medications, um, you know, more evasive procedures, uh, that they're just not used to. Um, like our most recent example would be an individual case from Colorado that couldn't even RSI, um, let alone had a third of the drug box of what we had 
Um, and that was a struggle um, for that individual on trying to get up to our speed and our system. Yeah. And I would say the majority of the Northwest or the Puget Sounds um, has those type of progressive protocols. Uh, and again, it's that trust again from the, the medical program director to allow us to do um, those types of things. Um, I think that helps with the, yeah. the job satisfaction too. Like yeah, you can does. work to like the top of your your certification, your, your yeah. training. It helps us to have that autonomy, the challenge of being good at something, mm-hmm. the support behind us to go, you know, go forward and do more. We talked a little bit with you guys at the lab about finger thoracostomies and surgical crikes, you know, things mm-hmm. like that that um, are probably going to be coming down in protocols pretty soon. I know a lot of the medics around here do. Do you do? Is it considered a surgical crike? Yeah, yeah. surgical crike. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you guys were excited about it. Um, so do you have a lot of say in what's coming down? If you went to your medical director and said, Hey, I think we need to do clamshell thoracotomies in the field. <laughs> um, yeah. would they be like, tell me more or would they laugh in your face? Yeah. Every few years, um, a committee gets formed for our protocols along with the MPD and, um, the medical officers and um, certain paramedics throughout our entire County. Um, and we're, uh, kind of an interesting setup because we're not just a single county protocol system. We're actually a region. So that um, encompasses four counties uh, within uh, the Northwest. Um, so we're all within the four neighboring counties doing the same thing. So yeah, we get to sit down with our MPD and one review our protocols and say what's working, what's not working. And, and hey, this is what's coming down the line in EMS. We'd really like to get on board with this and be kind of the forerunners of it. Um, and our program director, the one we currently have right now, is, is all about that. Um, as long as he knows and trusts that we'll be able to um, truly be practitioners in medicine and and work on those types of skills. Um, one of the things that I love about our system is that we're not that classic mother may I system. We don't have to call the hospital every time to give a drug or to do a procedure or to talk to a physician on the other end of the line to get permission. Um, we are considered in the medical field practitioners of medicine. Um, As you should be. Which is one of the, yeah, which is one of the great things I love about um, our area and our, our protocol. Mm -hmm. That's rad. We have a, I would say down here, depends on the topic, but we're, I would give us a A minus B plus on our protocols. Mm -hmm. They're not pushing boundaries, but you know, we are doing some stuff that's, pretty top notch and then other things were probably industry average I would say but what have you guys felt I mean because you 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 reminded me of a, a situation we've had recently where so my current assignment is on an engine and a truck station and we have um, our probies cycle through and get truck training truck time uh, with my crew um, when they're assigned to our shift and so they'll come down for a month or two um, during their year on the line and, you know, get some hours on, on the, the fire truck. And during that time, I'm, you know, obviously they have checkoffs and tests and stuff they have to take and pass. And we obviously make sure we have time for that, but I'm not immune to the fact that 90% of, you know, what we're doing is EMS related. And so I'm heavily concerned about their ability to show up, you know, take a refusal for an example to, you know, get the medic unit back in service, uh, do, 
you know, a good job of being a QRT medic, right? Where you're, you know, starting lines and getting drugs started or, you know, starting our, um, cardiac protocols early with a code and things like that. And we had a, um, uh, a probie recently who came from, um, a department in the South who has a very limited, uh, protocol system for their paramedics. And it was, like you said, it was like taking this person back through paramedic school and having to have them relearn all this stuff because, you know, we're used to going step one through 10 and they were stopping at step three. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you mm-hmm. need to learn four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Like, you know, there's, it was really interesting. And, and this person told me that, you know, they do where, where they came from, they were having, um, basically two, two month paramedic schools, like in and out two months. <laughs> was like, not a five star medic. No. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. I mean, if we want to touch on that with <laughs> our, our new friends, Jeff and Eric, but, oh boy. Um, yeah, it was so shocking to hear that. And then luckily, you know, this person was really, really engaged and wanted to learn more and was kind of a book nerd. And so, you know, through a bunch of content at them and, and they did a good job absorbing it and then coming to shift each day and wanting to put it into practice. So, but do you think when you have someone like that who's, who's already been trained on stopping at step four, let's say they need to start at step 10. Do you think those are the type of people you can, you know, oh, you want to, I know what you're thinking there. Cause Dan has a, a good memory aid of like every, every patient you go on has bought a crike prove it to me that you don't need one right kind of a thing um honestly that level of thinking is so foreign to the freshest minds that are out of school um that's what we you know i know i personally teach that um with the people that come through uh, our station but yeah i guess to answer your question it's hard. It really depends they have on an their base battle. education, and then right. yeah, they have an uphill battle when they've started mm-hmm. out at yeah. such a, you know, it's really a disservice. Like, yeah, it is. There, there should be no two month paramedic school in this country. No, like, no, um, yeah. It's a joke that it's you know nine months in some spots. Like this should be a two year program minimum, and it shouldn't be one year of general ed and then one year of right. paramedic ed. It should be two years of paramedic ed, but. Well, we know from, from being down in the (laughs) South, um, even though, you know, I went to a university for my paramedic school, um, trying to get my paramedic license in Washington was ridiculous. Retaking tests. I mean, like it was really hard as a nurse. I just needed a pulse rate and a checkbook. And they were like, Washington license, here you are. Um, so going from state to state, and maybe that's why it's so difficult because maybe Washington and Oregon, have high standards, whereas this other state didn't. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Um, I know that, you know, in doing the business stuff that, um, my business partner and I are involved in with test prep and CE and things like that, we see the, the full country, you know, and the limits that some states have. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it feels like Washington, Oregon, Texas, uh, Boston, um, there's some top notch. Idaho is pretty progressive. I mean, mm-hmm. their medics are doing chest tubes and cool. all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. 
really, I think any state that has critical care medics and fully functioning flight medics are going to be more than likely the mm-hmm. more progressive states. I do have to say that when I first yeah. started out on the ambulance back in the day, I'm only 29, so it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> um, it really was like the fire department got there and they kind of waited for us to get on, you know, and this is painting a general Holly, picture. Holly, that was me. <laughs> it was Dan Livengood. No, Dan would actually go around the block a couple of times, so I would arrive first and cancel yeah. them. This Ooh, is they look the, sick. Yeah. Let's do an extra lap. <laughs> wow. um, actually, this did happen, so just letting you know. Okay, no. yeah. Um, no, so we would get there and, and it did seem like the fire department kind of waited for us to get there to really do anything. Um, maybe they'd get a line or whatever. And depending on the, the department you worked with, because we worked with several different ones, some of them were notorious for standing outside the door until you got there and then going in with you. Um, but honestly, over the years, I was a medic for 14 years um, before I went to the dark side. And through the years, I've seen the fire department medics change so much as far as... Um, Maybe Dan's going to disagree with me, but um, maybe just their capabilities, um, pushing the protocols forward a little bit more. Um, we've done the cadaver lab multiple times for the new recruits, and it was awesome Like to see everybody coming in and doing CPR correctly and yeah. using checklists and really um, growing in just a couple of days that we had them. Um, I don't know. I think it's pretty impressive how it's changed since I started um, up until now. So yeah, even it, if it has got better, it's, it's better. gotten so much better. Um, and especially like bringing the single role medics in yeah. and then having departments like your guys's where you have the transport and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it's, it's improving quite a bit as far as I think if I had to offer a solution to some of the stuff we see where like Dan mentioned earlier, where people are just, you know, I got to get off the box. I got to get off the box. It's because they're getting put on a two person ambulance in their department and they're getting run ragged mm-hmm. and they aren't getting supported. Um, they aren't cycling enough people through that. Right. Spot. Or that's they the entry staffing. level spot right. and yeah. you're waiting to, to move up. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I have a few people in our department right now who, if we offered an incentive, you know, like maybe it's 10% car pay or whatever, um, which for those that don't maybe know what that is, it would be like a bargaining chip, like, you know, add 10% to my paycheck and I will work the ambulance kind of a thing. And some departments in our area have incentives for that. But if that was available, they would stay on the ambulance forever because we have a $47 a shift incentive. Just covers lunch. (laughs) That's (laughs) pre-tax. Before taxes. So you get eight bucks, you know, and, and I think it comes down to unfortunately staffing and, you know, financial support. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, but it does come down to that. And if, I think if we had, we would have less of these younger and younger people who are thinking like that if we were supporting them more from the top down. Um, it's hard to see, but I also understand on some level, you only have so much money to work with. Yeah. You only are mm-hmm. supported so much by your city or, you know, local government. Um, Jeff, you said you work on the ambulance a lot. Um, so when you guys are in the station, you have the uh, the engine and an ambulance. Did they take turns with you running calls? Yeah, so we're um, I'm at 
our biggest station. We have, I have a, a truck, an engine, our ambulance, and then our battalion uh, is also at the station that I'm out of. Uh, and we, it's like each unit has their own type of call they run, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, we, we, on the ambulance, we're always going to run with someone else. Um, maybe that is the aid car, maybe that's the ladder, maybe that's the engine. You know, it just, it depends on who it is. We always have another resource with us. Um, but then, you know, some calls, depending on how they're coded, like a, a BLS response, but they, we call it BLS green here. Just like a non-injury fall, um, that would fall under another resource. We we don't send an ambulance to a lift assist. Gotcha. Or so to you don't a, go on every call, uh, just most no, of them. No, <laughs> only the, only yeah. Because <laughs> I I agree with you. Like that would really suck if the other two crews were just sitting there watching TV and you yeah. ran your ass off all night. Yeah, you know? that that does happen quite a bit mm-hmm. where yeah. we're at. Um, we we hear that a lot, but yeah, it's. I don't know that we're going to solve that on our podcast today. No. But. <laughs> but it's encouraging to hear people being so. passionate about EMS because it, it is 90% so. of what we, what you guys do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's and, fun. Uh, yeah, I wanted to circle back. Just sitting here talking with everybody, I, I'm making some notes. And um, going back go back to the private versus fire-based uh, question that, uh, Steve, I think you brought up earlier, mm-hmm. just – putting myself back in those shoes, remembering some of the things that motivated me to kind of get out of the private sector. Um, it, it was very business based for me. Um, mm-hmm. They, the, the agency that I was at was more concerned about what is going to make them the most money, the fastest. Um, and I actually remember getting in trouble for, um, signing too many refusals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not because I was doing them wrong, but because I wasn't transporting people, but these people didn't need to go. Right. But that's where the money comes from. And that's why they exist. And I understand the business model and I get that they have to make money to exist, but going fire based, like our only job is to serve the community, mm-hmm. nothing else. So doing the right thing, um, you know, like ethically and morally for me, it was a no brainer to make that switch. Like these people that are calling us are the ones that are keeping us in business. Um, so it, it was much more do the right thing versus money based mm-hmm. coming to the fireside. When um, I worked which, on the which, private ambulance, we got an incentive for our dry run rate. Seriously? Yeah. Oh my if goodness. It was, that makes if, me if it was sick. the lowest. <laughs> We got an incentive for the most calls for the month, which I got every month almost because I work night shift. And then we also got an incentive for dry run. If our dry run rate was low, we got paid more. We got a bonus. That's so wrong. And they would post all of our stats on the wall. Wow. See, like that just, that internally, personally, that just kills me. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, I could not, I could not go to work and be happy with that as a model. I think that if we're showing up to a call without anything in our brains except what does this patient need and what what's going to benefit them the most, if we have anything else going on that's determining what we do for them, I think on some level we're in the wrong. Like, yeah, it, it's you know I had a lieutenant that I worked with for a long time that recently retired, and 
he would always say, he was the first one that really showed me what it was like to show up on scene and, this, okay, this is your, this is your loved one, this is your family member, what are you gonna do for them? What would you want them to have? What kind of care? What, what level of interventions? What, you know, give it to them. And, you know, at the end of the day, if they don't need to go, if this was your right. dad and you wouldn't take him to the hospital, don't take him. Right. And obviously give them the option. Like, it's their choice. But if it's a, uh, a conversation that can be had and you can explain to them what you would do if, if the, you know, the choice was in your hands because, you know, you were related to this person, then you That's can't really go wrong it. there. You can't yeah. really, you know, that to me is very defendable. Um, when someone says, why did you do X, Y, or Z? Right. Well, I said, I looked at this person as if they were my dad. And I said, what does my dad need? I mean, oh, okay, well, shoot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> can't argue with that. That's huge. That's yeah. huge. Um, thanks for being on and hanging out with us today, you guys. It was, it's interesting to talk to people from different areas. We get kind of, I think, stuck in our ways. Yeah. In our little yeah. circles of life. I'm a little bit motivated right now. I know. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, the debate between private ambulance, fire, and third service is always going to be out there. Yeah. It's um, always going to come down to, I get to retire when I'm 55 in a fire department, not 72 on an ambulance. Right. I mean, I mean, that's totally. a big, a big piece of it. Not, I mean, we obviously can't speak for every service that's out there or you know, agency that's doing it right or wrong. Cause there's fire departments you don't want to work for. I know that for sure. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more than anything, hearing you guys chat, I just would hope that you know, kind of like what Dan was saying, it's it's a little motivating to hear you guys have such a positive outlook on the thing that sometimes is the first thing that people want to get down on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, we're always open up to more conversations too. Um, anything, any topics that you guys come up with and want a different area perspective or, or what we're doing. From the north. Provide that feedback too. From, <laughs> from the great Pacific Northwest, yes. Awesome. Um, but yeah, no, we, we really enjoyed being here and, and we loved uh, having this, this roundtable conversation with you. Right on. Yeah, thanks again. We'll uh, We'll leave it there for the day and we will see you guys at the next one.